Hello, this is Pastor Don from the Atlantic Evangelical Free Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check us out on the web at AtlanticFreeChurch.com. In the meantime, I hope the sermon you're about to hear draws you closer to the Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening, and God bless you. Thank you very much to the group in the back this morning and all the mornings. (laughs) Well, good morning. Uh, I want to uh, add my congratulations to the grads and the families. God bless you guys today. What, a, what an exciting end just this whole season of, of graduation. Uh, please turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 121. Kurt read it for us a little earlier. We, we had it as part of the worship this morning, but that's the passage we're going to be looking at today. Uh, we're going to spend our time meditating. We're, we're looking at some psalms for a couple of months here at the end of the spring, beginning of the summer. This morning we're going to meditate on one together that's often referred to as the Traveler's Psalm, and I hope to show you why as we go along. So Psalm 121, the Traveler's Psalm. Uh, Let's pray for God's help, and then we'll get right into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us to this place, and we would just look to you now and pray that you will uh, encourage us and challenge us and build us up and... uh, exhort us, exhort our hearts, Lord, strengthen our hearts for, for, the, for the road. And uh, we would just invite you now by your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And uh, we ask this all in the great and awesome name of our Lord and Savior, Messiah Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, when our family was a lot younger than we are now, uh, Laura and I took our, our kids on several long car trips. Uh, long car trips, that was the cheapest way to travel for a family of five. And so we had some trips where we traveled hundreds of miles, in a few cases even a, a, some thousands of miles a few times, uh, to see family or you know, the occasional vacation, that kind of thing. And uh, my wife, Laura, she was great, still is, at uh, finding things to kid, keep the kids occupied in the car, especially those, those little ones. And so she would take them to the library ahead of time and come home with bags of books. And uh, she would get puzzles and games that were especially well-suited for the car and, and audio books. We'd spend hours in the car listening to audio books sometimes. Uh, so she was, we, were, you know, we, we kept them occupied because there's nothing quite so difficult in a long car ride as an unoccupied child. So, uh, so we would do those things. Another thing we would do, and this is always one of my favorites, was that we would put together a trip mix. A trip mix. And, so, and this was usually my job. And so I would find out from everybody kind of what were your favorite songs, everything from the Wiggles to Billy Joel and everything in between. And, uh, and, and everybody would get to pick some songs. And I'd go through our different CDs and I'd grab everybody's favorites and I'd burn them all onto a single CD. And that CD, back this is before streaming, you say, why don't you just make a Spotify playlist? Well, this was before that. And so we'd burn them all onto a CD and then we'd have that trip mix. That would be our, when you got tired of the audiobooks and counting license plates from other states, you'd pop that trip mix in the, in the CD player and it would, it would be our soundtrack for our trips. Well, the book of Psalms, believe it or not, has a trip mix. The book of Psalms has a trip mix right here in the middle of it. And this morning we're going to look at one song from the Psalms trip mix. Uh, if you have your physical Bible with you this morning and you look at where we are, you look at Psalm 121, uh, you'll see that there's something that all of these psalms here in this part of the Psalter have in common. There's actually 15 of them in a row, and every one of them has the words, a song of ascents at the top of the psalm. It starts with number 120, and it runs through to number 134. And every single one is called a song of ascents. 
and there's a lot of songs for the road. Uh, but not just any road trip, like, you know, a family trip. It wasn't just that. These were songs for going up to Jerusalem. And so they were specifically used. They were basically part of their liturgy for when pilgrims would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the religious festivals. And I've actually talked about this in the past. I've compared these particular psalms to Christmas carols. You almost think of how we use Christmas carols. Uh, we, we, we trot them out at that special time of the year, and we sing them and hear them and listen to them, and we kind of put them away for the rest of the year. That's kind of how the Israelites used the songs of ascent. They were specifically part of the whole experience of traveling to Jerusalem from all over Israel to celebrate one of the religious feasts. And the reason they, they were called Songs of Ascent is you had to go up. You had to go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was one of the highest points in Israel, and so from any direction you were coming, you usually were traveling literally up. And, uh, and that actually helps us understand <clears throat> Psalm 121, the opening words. It begins, it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. And uh, we hear that, and we're going to interpret that, and we'll kind of talk about that metaphorically and figuratively, but you need to understand but that for them, that was a literal statement. Traveling up to Jerusalem, uh, you would be looking at hills all around you from whatever direction you were coming. And so Psalm 121, just in its basic structures where it's placed in the book and how it unfolds for us, it is a traveling psalm. It's a traveling psalm. It is a, a psalm for people on the move. And I think that makes it a very timely psalm for us today. Uh, we spent some time a few minutes ago recognizing our church's seniors. And, well, graduates are definitely people on the move, aren't they? They're, they're people who are in a time of transition. Their families are, are experiencing changes with that. And so uh, this is a good psalm for graduates. Uh, but they're not the only ones. This isn't a baccalaureate. I'm not going to preach a baccalaureate sermon this morning. Uh, there's lots of people who are living life on the move. Some people are actually moving, right? We are coming into that season when sometimes people move, and I know we have at least one family in our church who's moving this summer. Maybe there are others. Uh, I think those folks will resonate with this psalm this morning. Uh, and, but, but then it's, it's, it's just bigger than physically moving. There are changes in life. You know, all kinds of changes. Maybe, you know, your family has someone who's getting married this summer, or maybe you're welcoming a new baby, or you did recently, or maybe there's a change at work, or there's all kinds of changes we face that I think the words of this psalm really resonate for us. We can identify with them because we're people on the move. But if you're sitting there and you're like, well, nothing's changing in my life, everything's always the same, this psalm is still for you because the Bible talks about the whole Christian life as, as a journey, right? There's a lot of passages we could look at where basically the whole thing is like one big road trip with Jesus. You, know, you, you see this kind of language uh, in, the, in the New Testament a lot, that we're walking with Jesus and traveling with Jesus. So I think Psalm 121 has a message for all of us today. And that message is what I'm going to call a promise of presence. Psalm 121 is a, a promise of presence. God's, God is saying, I am with you. I am with you on life's road. And that's the main idea I want to look at with you this morning. Uh, Psalm 121 teaches that the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us as we travel through life. It, it is a promise of presence. Of presence. And because of that, we have confidence. I, I called my sermon this morning, Confidence for the Road Ahead. Uh, we have confidence for whatever comes next in our lives, precisely because of God's presence, because the Lord is with us. 
So I want to use the time we have uh, to uh, look at these eight verses. It's a pretty short psalm. And I want to focus in on, and this is kind of outlined for you already in that bulletin insert outline we send out, <clears throat> or on the online version. There's kind of an electronic version you can access. Uh, and what I want to sh- talk about are three things that this psalm says about us as travelers. Uh, I want to talk about the traveler's problem, uh, the traveler's protection, and then at the end, we'll, we'll come down on the traveler's promise. So the traveler's problem, protection, and promise. That's our outline. So let's, uh, let's jump on this. Uh, let's start with the traveler's problem. And the traveler's problem is that the road is filled with hazards. The road of life is a hazardous road. By the way, that is not the same thing as saying it's a bad road. To say it's a hazardous road is not to say that it's a bad road. It's not a bad road. The road of life is a good road. In fact, a lot of times, if you're walking with Jesus especially, it's a glorious, beautiful road. And and so the road is a good road, right? This psalm is not going to tell us otherwise. The road is a good road, but there are hazards along the way. It's a hazardous road. And this is what we see with the opening words of the psalm. There's just a few words, but they're loaded. Uh, It opens up. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Now, as I said before, this was the physical reality of traveling to Jerusalem. If you were coming from pretty much anywhere in Israel, if you were an Israelite, you lived north, you lived east, wherever you lived, uh, when you go to Jerusalem, you're going up, all right? And, and on your way up, you're going to pass through what they would refer to as hill country. They talk about hill country a lot in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, but you'll see that language in the New as well. And, and so, hill country. Now, when I hear hill country, I think beautiful scenery. That, that's what, you know, when I hear those words, that's kind of how I'm wired. That's how I think. I think hills are beautiful. And um, I don't know, maybe they thought the same thing when they would talk about the hill country. I don't know. But whatever beauty they saw there, the hazards were of a bigger deal. The hazards were the part that they were, they were focused on. So when he says, I lift my eyes up to the hills, he's talking about the hazards that he sees around him. He's not like, I, I look up to the hills and I see all the beautiful scenery. He's, he, what he's saying is, I look up to the hills and I see danger. And there were two hazards in particular that an Israelite in this psalm's context would associate with the hills. Two, two hazards. The first is the, the danger of basically being attacked. The, the physical danger of robbers, marauders, bandits, whatever word you want to use, uh, they're, they're a danger. They're a genuine, legitimate, legitimate danger from the hills. Um, the main roads typically ran through the valleys. Right? There's a few, few roads that will run through the hill country, but most roads, the best way to travel is to travel through the valleys. The land is flatter, uh, and you end up in a situation where that's where the best farmland is, and so that's where the towns are, that's where the villages are. Uh, traveling through the valleys basically is to travel through civilization. And so the hill country, the hills up around, they're not completely uninhabited, but what tends to happen was that the hills is where the hideouts were and the bandits and and all that kind of stuff, which is, you know, when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, that man who gets attacked is traveling through this kind of country, hill country, dangerous country. And so for them, the hills were associated, first of all, with the the real danger of, of physical threats, Okay. The other hazard associated in a Jewish mindset with the hills is idolatry. So you have physical dangers and you have spiritual dangers, the deceptions of idolatry. Uh, if you read through the Old Testament, you see that one of the recurring 
problems, one of the recurring stumbling blocks for Israel was that people kept worshiping in the hills. And so you read uh, repeatedly about the problem of high places. The Israelites would go and worship in the high places. And uh, you and I, we hear that, and we say, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, have you ever read through the Old Testament? You're like, what's, what's the deal with the high places? Why is this such a problem all the time? That sounds kind of charming, right? Go up on a mountain and have a little worship service. What's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with that is that God had forbidden it. The Old Covenant specifically forbade the Israelites from going off and worshiping their own way and in their own places. They were supposed to come to where God was. They were supposed to come to where the tabernacle was, and once the temple was built, they were supposed to come to the temple in Jerusalem. That's where they were supposed to worship Yahweh. But throughout Israel's history, at different stages, uh, there, there were these, basically the Israelites would, and, and it really does seem to be a matter of convenience as much as anything, uh, why do I have to go all the way to Jerusalem? I'm just going to build a little altar on a nearby mountain, I'll climb up in the mountain, and I'll worship God my way. I'll worship him the way I want to worship him on my own terms. And so, so, so you have that going on in the hill country a lot of times. But you know, I have to say, for those folks, at least they were worshiping the right God. They were worshiping the right God the wrong way, but at least they're, they're, they were kind of, sort of right. What was even worse in the hills was the, the pagan idolatry. And a lot of times when you read about those high places in the Old Testament, this is part of it too. They're, they're not worshiping Yahweh in the hills, they're worshiping Molech and sacrificing their children to Molech, and they're worshiping Baal, and they're worshiping Asherah, this fertility goddess, and, and all this kind of, this kind of thing. And, and that's what happened in the hills, all right? That's the idea. And so when the traveler, in verse 1, says, I lift, my, I lift my eyes to the hills, what he sees are these hazards. He sees the hazards, uh, the hazard of, of attack, the danger of attack, and he sees the, the danger of idolatry, the danger of being spiritually deceived. We face the same kinds of hazards today. We face the exact same things. Uh, they're not tied to the hill country the way they were physically in Israel, but they're the same hazards. Uh, the world can be a dangerous place. It can be a dangerous place physically. There's, there's crime, uh, there's violence. Sometimes we, we have accidents. We were, you know, some were injured or, or worse before we even know what has happened. Uh, there are diseases and illnesses and, and viruses. There's natural disasters. There's economic disasters. There's all kinds of bad things that can happen in that physical realm in the world. It reminds me of that uh, famous line from Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Ring. I've always loved this line. Uh, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. Uh, you step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you may be swept off to. It's a dangerous business just going out your door. I think that's the idea when you see this, I lift my eyes to the hills. Uh, there's all kinds of hazards along the way. But then there's also the danger of deception. That one's just as real today as well. Uh, it's true we don't have people building high places in the mountains anymore. Uh, now they build them on college campuses and in the centers of power and sometimes even in the churches. And I got to warn you, the, the, the spiritual hazards, the contemporary high places are, are even more dangerous than the physical ones. Uh, after all, the physical hazards can only destroy our bodies. Right? They can only destroy the flesh, but the spiritual hazards, uh, the, the idolatries of this world, the false ideologies that are so prevalent now, uh, those things can condemn us for eternity. And so they're even more dangerous. And, and I think that's why we resonate so much with the second half of verse 1. 
The first half explains the second half. I'm sure you've read this psalm and you've wondered, what's going on here? Uh, The traveler basically looks at everything, uh, his summary of everything I just described to you. He says, uh, what am I going to do? He looks to the hills and he says, I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded by danger and deception. Where does my help come from? What am I going to do? Who's going to guard my child's heart as he goes off to college? Who's going to protect my life when the next pandemic comes? Who's going to watch over my job when the next downturn comes? Who's going to help me? Who's going to watch over me? And that brings us to the second thing Psalm 121 tells us about the life of us travelers. The second thing it gets into, and it spends most of its time here, is on the traveler's protection. The traveler's protection. And our protection, what's our protection? It's the Lord. The Lord himself is our protection. That's how the psalm talks. Uh, And and this is what you see in really, it's the whole rest of the psalm, and especially in verses 2 through 6. In verses 2 through 6, the psalm gives us actually three different descriptions. We have three descriptions of how the Lord's presence, they're all connected to his presence, his presence protects us in the midst of the hazards. I'm just going to take you through the three of them. Uh, the first description, how does the, Lord, how does the Lord protect us? The first is that he, <laughs> wrong line. Uh, the first is that he is our powerful helper, right? Powerful helper. And, and this is what you get in verse two. He is described here as our powerful helper. So I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So he starts with this question, who's going to help me? But then in verse two, he goes, oh yeah. He answers his own question. Oh, yeah, I remember the Lord's going to help me. That's who's going to help me. It's Yahweh. It's the one true God. He is my helper. helper. And then the, the traveler, the speaker, uh, points to uh, creation. That's the second half of verse 2 there. And there's, it's interesting. There's a lot of things he could point to. He's, he, God is my helper, and he could point to God's mercy. Right? He's going to have mercy on me and protect me. Or he could point to God's fierce jealousy. He's going to come defend me because he's jealous for his people. But he doesn't point to either of those. Instead, he points to the Lord's power. He says, it's the maker of heaven and earth. That's who my my helper is. It's the the one who made everything. And so what he's saying there in verse 2 is, I don't just have a helper. I have a strong helper. I have a powerful helper. I have the most powerful helper around, the one who made everything everything. And so that's the first one. Who's on my side? The maker of heaven and earth is on my side. As Romans 8 puts it, if God is for us, who can be against us? So the Lord himself is our powerful helper. The second description here in the psalm is that he is a vigilant watchman. He's a vigilant watchman. And so not only is he powerful, but he's like a guard who never goes off duty. He never goes off duty. That's what you get in verses three and four. He will not let your, he, talking about the Lord, will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, uh, he who, lost my place, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, the first thing I want to say about those those verses, let's look at verses three and four there. The first thing I want to say is that you probably notice there's a change of speaker. Uh, And so in verses 1 and 2, when we start, it's what we call first person. I look to the hills, my help comes from the Lord's first person. But it switches in verse 3. Do you see that? Now it it switches. It's not I anymore, now it's you. 
And actually, it's specifically you singular. It's not you all. It's, it's you singular, talking to one person as an individual. And you should wonder, why is there a switch? What's the switch poetically? What's going on here? And here's how we're supposed to read the switch. And I need you to picture this, because this is really important to how we understand and apply this psalm. Psalm 121 is not just one traveler walking down the road, narrating his own private experience of what it's like. Psalm 121 is two travelers in a conversation about their experience together along the road. That's how you got to read this one, okay? And so you got two friends, and they're walking along, and they are followers of the Lord. How do I know? Because they're, it's, it's one of the songs of ascent. They're going up to Jerusalem. So they're devotees of the Lord. They're, they're, they belong to him. And they're walking along the road, and they're talking with each other about the road. And Traveler 1 looks at all the dangers, and he says, Oh my goodness, that's horrible. Who's going to help me? Oh yeah, I remember the Lord's going to help me. And then starting with verse 3, Traveler 2 says, That's absolutely right. You are so right. Yes, the Lord's going to help you. Let me tell you how much he's going to help you. And then Traveler 2 talks for the rest of the psalm, verses 3 through 8. And, and that's how you have to picture this. It's two men, or it could be two women, I suppose, uh, but two people walking along on their way to Jerusalem. And there's a little side lesson here. I don't have it on the slides or whatever, but there's a little side lesson I have to, move, I have to point out before I come back to the vigilance of the Lord. The side lesson is, do not travel alone. Do not travel alone. Uh, we all need companions who walk with us as we walk with the Lord. I think that's, that's, part, that's a kind of a meta-application of, of Psalm 121. We need people who walk with us as we walk with the Lord. And just to be clear, we're talking about companions who share your faith, right? They're on the same road with you. And so we're not talking about friendship generically, which is very valuable, uh, but we're talking about friends who share our commitment to Jesus Christ. This is why being part of a church is so important, and just Christian community in general is so important. We are not meant to walk this road, capital R road, alone. We are meant, we are designed to walk it with other believers. And so to those of you who are heading off to college, make sure you get involved. Make sure you get involved in some kind of, some kind of campus ministry, some kind of group on your campus. If you're going to a Christian school, it's just as important. Go to those chapels when they're available, whatever it is, because it's really, really essential to be in community with other believers in that setting. Uh, if you're moving, right? We talked about moves as another way to think about this song. If, if, if you're moving to a different place, finding a new church should be at the top of your list, right? It's that important. Sign up for utilities, find a grocery store, find a good mechanic, and find a church. It's, it's that important because we're not meant to walk with the Lord alone. It, it, we're, we're meant to walk with the Lord in community with others. And so that's kind of a little, a little side application of, of this psalm. Now back to the main outline, the Lord is vigilant, right? So as we're walking together with him, who's watching over us? It's the vigilant watchman. And that emphasis on his vigilant guarding of us is, is really clear there in verses 3 and 4. Uh, Traveler 2, who starts the narrative now in verse 3, uh, he, he, the first thing he says actually is that the Lord will not let your foot be moved. 
another, a couple other translations. So one says, he'll not let your foot slip. He'll not, not let you stumble. They're all, they're traveling, right? It's all part of the travel metaphor here. You're on this road, you're going up to Jerusalem, and as you're walking along, the Lord himself is going to keep you from like falling and breaking your leg or twisting your ankle or, or something like that. That's kind of the picture. Jude 1, the New Testament book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 24, he is able to keep you from falling. Same sort of picture. He is able to keep you from falling. And how do I know? How do you know he's able to keep you from falling as you walk along the road? How do you know he's going to protect you and watch over you physically and spiritually? How do you know? Well, it's because he never, ever, ever goes off duty. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. Right? He, he, he never needs a rest stop or a coffee break or a week of vacation to recharge. He doesn't need any of that. He is ever and always vigilant. We sang it before. Oh, no, he never lets go. Right? It's, it's that right there. It's his, his constant vigilance over his people. And so that's another form the Lord's protection takes over his people. He is a vigilant watchman. The third description of protection that we get here is that he's also a protective covering. So that's, that's the third one I see in, in these verses, a protective covering. And it's there in verses 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. So Traveler 2, still talking. Uh, he uh, talking to his friend, Traveler 1, and, and he repeats a word that he's already, it's already been used in the psalm. He repeats it again. It's the word keep. Uh, the Lord will keep you. And it's actually a key word that runs through this psalm. It's used uh, six or seven times, I think it was. And what the word keep means is to guard or protect. Guard or protect. That's what this word means. And that's what he says here. He says, the Lord is your guard. He's your protector. He's going to keep you. And then the, the speaker expands on that. He says, the Lord is your shade. Let me tell you how he protects you. He's your shade on your right hand, it says. He's the shade on your right hand. Now, in the Bible, there's a couple of word pictures, biblical metaphors here. Uh, in the Bible, uh, the right hand is the strong hand. So no offense to the left-handed people in the room. Uh, it's just how they, they use the metaphor. They had left-handed people too. But just in speaking, the right hand is the strong hand. And so what that means is it's, what is it a metaphor for? The right hand is a metaphor for everything you put your hand to, right? It's, it's what you do. It's the efforts of your life. So when you see that kind of language in the Bible, it talks about the right hand, or sometimes it'll talk about the Lord's right hand. It's talking about that person's strength and therefore what comes from that person's strength, his or her work, her efforts, and all, all the rest of it. And so it's, what is it in this context? The right hand is the work we do as we're walking along the road, as we're traveling with the Lord. And what he says about this work is that the Lord is the shade. He's the shade over your, your right hand, he says. Uh, the Holy Land, why shade? Well, the Holy Land's a hot place. The Holy Land's a, a hot place, a dry place. There are a few places that are lush and green, but generally speaking, it's a hot, arid climate. And so shade is really important. As you're traveling along the road, shade is really important. It protects you from getting dehydrated. It gives you a place to recuperate so that you don't get heat stroke. Shade is really, really important. It protects you. Those, those occasional intermittent places of shade protect you along the road. And that's the picture here. Uh, the Lord is going to protect you along the way. He's going to protect you. What's he going to protect? He's going to protect your, your, what, the efforts of your right hand. He's going to protect your studying if you're a student and your work, and your raising of a family, if your parents, or uh, your, your career path, or whatever it is you, you put your hand to. He is your shade, 
at your right hand. He's your protective covering. And so those are those three pictures. And then actually verse 6, verse 6 is still part of that protective covering. Verse 6 tells us the timing. Because what verse 6 does is it says, it says um, he'll protect you from the sun and the moon, it says. right? And, it, and really what's going on there is that's just a poetic way to talk about day and night. So what he's saying in verse 6 is all the time. Some, some uh, interpreters like to read into here kind of a fear of paganism, kind of the pagan god of the sun, the pagan god of the moon. God will protect you from the false gods. I think that probably reads too much into it myself. I think it's just a metaphor for day or night. Day or night, sun or moon, whichever is, is, is shining, uh, he will protect you. He will be with you in all that we do all of the time. He will protect us. That's the idea there in verse 6. And that brings us to the, the third thing I want to talk about, which is the traveler's promise. And the traveler's promise is what I just said. The Lord will protect you. That's the traveler's promise. That's the promise we walk forth under. And we get it in the last part of the psalm. It's verses 7 and 8. He says, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So everything we've looked at so far, like I said, it's a short psalm, but the first six verses build up to the last two. Uh, everything so far ends with this straightforward promise. And so he had some different metaphors in the middle of the psalm. God's a guard, God's a shade tree, this kind of picture. The, the, the speaker drops the metaphors now and he just comes straight out and says, the Lord will protect you. The Lord will keep you is the word he uses. And remember, that word means protect or guard. And so he says, the Lord will protect you. What will he protect you from? Well, he actually gives us three. He's, and he, he repeats, this word keep is so important, he repeats it three times in two verses. First, the Lord will protect you from evil. He'll keep you from evil, it says. Evil's a real thing. Evil's a real thing. It's not just a metaphor or a social construct. It's real. And if you're walking with the Lord, he'll protect you from it. That's, that's, the, that's the promise there, if you're walking with the Lord. Not that you'll ever not be affected by it, but, but he will keep you. He will keep you. Uh, if you don't walk with the Lord, I do think there's also a kind of an implied uh, warning here. Uh, if, you, if you don't walk with the Lord, that is, if you leave the road and wander up into the hill country, right? picture this, right? You, you, you say, well, I don't want to be on the road. I'm going to wander up into the hill country. Well, now you've made yourself vulnerable. Uh, you might get in trouble. But, but if you stay on the road... If you walk with the Lord, he'll protect you. That's, that's the first one. So the Lord will protect you from evil. Uh, the second one, uh, the Lord will protect your life, it says. The Lord will protect your life. Uh, that is a foundational biblical teaching that we need to hold on to, whatever our age is. Right? We really need to hold on to that. Our lives are in God's hands. We are not the masters of our own fate. We are, he, he, he's the master of our fate. Our lives are in his hands. I love what a 19th century missionary named Henry Martin said. Actually, some of you have heard John Piper quote this, but it goes back to Henry Martin. Uh, Martin said, you are immortal until God's purpose for you is complete. You are immortal until God's purpose for you is complete. We of all people, followers of Jesus, we of all people should not be afraid of death. Why? Because we know our lives are in his hands. We're not going to die apart from his, his care and his permission. And that's what it says. The Lord, will, he will keep your life. Your life is not kept by the CDC or by anything of these other things. Our lives are kept by the Lord. 
And then the third use of the word keep is actually the strongest of the three. The psalmist is building the strongest of the three. Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in, traveler number two says. And, and what he's basically, that's a picture for your travels. That's why this is why this was often called the traveler's psalm. Uh, the Lord will protect your travels. Uh, he'll protect your literal travels. Right? He's, he watches over us when you go out on the road. Uh, and he'll also protect our figurative ones. And so again, your, your, your studies, your students, your career decisions, uh, your, your work, your farm, your, your business, your search for a spouse, your child rearing, whatever it is you're putting your hand to, whatever that efforts of your right hand are leading to under his care, your whole life is under the umbrella of his sovereign protection. That's what verse 8 is saying. And then we get the very last word there at the end of, uh, at the end of verse 8. Uh, it says, the Lord will do all this for you from this time forth and forevermore. And so it's a time indicator. He'll protect you in the present, and he'll protect you in the future. He'll protect you now, and he'll protect you then. That is, he will be with you all along the road, all the way to the end. That's the traveler's promise. That's the promise we stand on. And that's why we have confidence. That's why I called this confidence for the road ahead. That's why we have confidence. Whether you're graduating... Or, or moving, or changing jobs, or you've added a new baby, or facing an empty nest, or something else altogether that you might be facing today. If your road's about to get really, really different, you can be confident that the Lord is with you anyway. The Lord is with you on that road. I've been uh, slowly working my way through a book, a wonderful book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I, I warmly recommend it. It's a great book, an excellent book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's written by a man named Eugene Peterson. Uh, if any of you are fans of The Message, that translation of the Bible that was done, oh, probably 20 years ago now, uh, if you're fans of The Message, uh, Peterson's the guy who did it. And uh, he also, he wrote a lot of other books, and one of them was this book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I, I thought of that book this week because that book is actually a meditation on that trip mix that I told you about at the beginning. It's actually, it's basically a, a devotional commentary on the Songs of Ascent. And so there's 15 chapters, one for each of the, the Songs of Ascent. And so I, I'm, I'm about halfway through the book, which means I've already read the chapter on today's psalm. So I went back to it this week. I just wanted to see what did Peterson have to say about this, because I know I'd appreciated it so much. And I actually found I had underlined or highlighted, I'm actually reading it as an ebook. Um, a couple of paragraphs that I want to close with. And so I just want to read these to you. They are a very nice summary of what we've talked about this morning. Listen to Peterson's description of the Christian life from Psalm 121. So we'll close with this. The Christian life is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk uninterrupted with our Lord. Nor is it a fantasy trip to a heavenly city where we compare blue ribbons and gold medals with others in the winner's circle. To suppose that or to expect that is to understand life the wrong way. The Christian life is going to God. And he's, he's picking on that idea of the song of ascents, the journey up to the Lord. The Christian life is going to God. And in going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on. We breathe the same air, drink the same water, shop in the same stores read the same newspapers, are citizens under the same governments, pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline. We fear the same dangers. We're subject to the same pressures. We get the same distresses. We are buried in the same ground. The difference 
is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or accidents we experience, the Lord will guard us from every evil because he guards our very life. Would you please pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for, for this reality. Uh, you will guard and protect us. You guard our lives. You guard our spirits. You guard our souls. Uh, you guard our families. You guard us, Lord, with your, your vigilant, powerful uh, compassionate and caring hand. And now we just thank you so much for that reality. That is the, the, the great tent under which we, we, uh, we live and walk, Lord. You are our banner, and we uh, live and walk under you, Lord. And so we pray, Lord. I will pray for the graduates today on Senior Sunday that you would help them to really hold fast to this promise. But Lord, I pray it for all of us, that we would remember that the Lord is with us, and that you walk with us as we walk with you. Help us to never forget that, but to hold fast to you as you hold fast to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.